many of our favorites to watch. Oh look, now they're being bashed. I guess that's what we should expect on the Bullied Nostalgia Podcast. Hello everyone, we're back with the Bullied Nostalgia Podcast. I'm joined by Kylan. Hello. Chance. That's me. And John. I'm here. It is a very snowy day and we're here recording an episode for Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. So, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a very good movie. And I don't know about you, John, it certainly means something to me. The boys and I have been playing a video game called Grounded, which is essentially Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the video game, where you have to survive in the backyard. So a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids themed episode gelled really nicely. And I think I probably only saw Honey, We Shrunk the Kids, the original movie, once or twice. Because somewhere along the way, our parents decided they would never buy an original movie. They would only buy sequels to movies or threequels or whatever that is. Right. So that's the segue into where I was going with this. John and I had made an agreement that it had to be movies that we owned when we were young. And we never owned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. However, we did own the third movie in the series... (laughs) Honey, we shrunk ourselves. And it's only now that I'm realizing how many of the movies we've done have not been the original movie. We did Superman 4, Lamb Before Time 3. Just wait. Batman 3. (laughs) It's pretty much all been sequel movies. Why mess with a good thing? So today we're doing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lesser, Worse Brother, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. And before we get into what we thought of it or how this movie came to be, Chance, would you like to summarize what this movie is about? All right. So there are two characters named Wayne and Gordon Zielinski. They're two scientists and inventors. And one of them builds a shrink machine. The concept is they were going to watch the kids over the weekend, but through hilarious hijinks, him, his brother, and their two wives all end up getting shrunk. The kids, thinking they've been left alone all weekend, get up to Home Alone-style shenanigans, making messes, eating a whole bunch of junk food, that kind of thing. And the movie is all about the adults trying to find a way to make themselves big and communicate with the kids. Chance, you said that the adults shrunk themselves. I wouldn't call that accurate. I'd say a set of croquet (laughs) balls shrunk them. Consistently, a croquet ball would fall from the ceiling and shrink them. Yeah, if we're looking at the antagonist of the movie. (laughs) It's gravity. (laughs) So... The first movie was extremely successful, so much so that they pumped out a sequel, and the sequel did well financially, but went in a completely different direction. It's called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Which is not about explosions. That's right. It's about Rick Moranis making their toddler big instead of small. 
And I remember seeing that movie in theaters, and it doesn't have the same appeal as the first movie. Instead, it's like a Godzilla movie with a toddler, essentially. Yeah, because there are just tons of movies, especially kids' movies, about shrinking down to a small size. I feel like... And it has to do with the fact that people find it fascinating. Yeah, it's a different perspective, and it makes everything that we take for granted epic and scary. So this movie was a return to form. It was going back to the basics, saying, hey, let's make another big hit like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But this time, they're not in the backyard. They're inside a house. They're inside a house. So this movie was supposed to get a theatrical release. It had a budget of $40 million. How much was the first one? Do you know that? I think the budget on the first one was $26 million. Wow. So they were going all in. And then somewhere along the lines, they decided, no, this is going direct to DVD. Direct to VHS. Yeah. So. That hurt them? They slashed the budget from $40 to $7 million. And I would say it shows. I think a good amount of the movie looks pretty good. Rather than use visual effects, they just make physical objects. A good example being there's a part where he's in a stereo. The entire stereo is an actual room they built out of foam and cardboard and yeah, but then stuff like, like that. But when they do visual effects, like there's a scene where there's a Hot Wheels car, that scene looks very bad. Yeah, I was surprised at how many jokes... In this movie, I enjoy. I expected this movie to be a dud. But I think that there's a fair bit of the original planned for theatrical release movie left in this. It's actually not a super bad movie. But I think that the budget really lets it down. Mm -hmm. The visual effects are weak. And John made a comment, it feels like their size is super inconsistent. I think that's part of that same problem. They green screen a lot. There's a lot of times where it's some background that's just been dropped in behind them. And often the background perspective seems off. It just, across the board, I think the visual effects in this movie are what is the weakest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, going back to what you said earlier, is, uh, there are a lot of great one-liners. The child actors in this movie are just okay, in my opinion. But the adult actors, I feel like, really steal the show for me. A good example being, I think, Mike Moranis is his name? Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis, phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious all the time. And the other act- person who plays Gordon, his brother, although not as funny as Rick, the two of them have very good chemistry. And they're just funny when they're together. Yeah. Those two especially. But the wives also had me laughing Mm -hmm. a handful of times. I was being intentional about watching Rick Moranis. And like you said, even when he doesn't have anything to do, he is on. Even when it's other people's lines, he's making himself busy. He's active in a scene. His visual Presence. presence is on point 100% of the time. This is Rick Moranis' last movie that he ever made. Unfortunately, his wife passed away, and so he retired from acting to be a single parent to raise his family. Obviously, he had this series of movies named after him, but 
Rick Moranis was phenomenal in everything. Um, it's just one of those scenarios where it's his role in Ghostbusters is maybe next only to Bill Murray, mm-hmm. the funniest thing in that show. It's just unfortunate that we'll never see any of his work again. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a talented actor. And that was a big talk. Now Ghostbuster remakes are commonplace, but one of the major conversations that they were having throughout the 2000s was, could they get Bill Murray and could they get Rick Moranis? Obviously, they never got Rick Moranis to come back. Allison Mack. Mm-hmm. So Smallville was a TV show about Superman. When he was a teenager. When he was a teenager that both Tim and I were into. Tim would sort of eventually take a break on the show and I would get super invested and watch it from start to finish. And Allison Mack played the character of Chloe in Smallville, which was a character made up for the TV show. She wasn't in comic books before that. Anyways, I sort of developed, I don't know if I would say a crush on Allison Mack, but she certainly was my favorite Smallville character and was always rooting for her and cared about the scenes that she was in and the storylines she was a part of. And so I don't know when I realized that... She was the one in this movie? She was the one in this movie. It was a, lo- it was a while ago. I think I like came up to you one day and I was like, she's in Honey, we <laughs> Like it was this epiphany probably like eight years ago or something like that. And so... Well, John rewatches this show on a re- maybe That's on right. a regular basis. No, I'm sure when I discovered it, I went to YouTube and watched. He'll watch one episode of Smallville, then Honey We Shrunk Ourselves, <laughs> then an episode of Smallville. So Allison Mack is is actually probably like 15 years old as an actress in this movie. I'm guessing. And Chance said the kid actors are just okay. I would say she's better than okay. Oh yeah, she's she is. Great. She is very good in this movie for a child actor. She is on point. There's one part where they're making fun of each other in the car and it cuts to the moms and it looks back and the facial expression that Allison Mack gives, she just like rolls her eyes and cringes. I was like, oh my goodness, that's... I could see Kyla doing that. (laughs) She's in character. She's selling it. She's nailing it. It was very funny because I, in my research, I knew that Mila Kunis is also in this movie. And John's jaw, like, hit the floor. He's like, is that? Is that? (laughs) But she's so young in this movie. She's got to be 12, maybe. It's, it does catch you off guard. Okay, that brings me a question. How young are the two boys? There are three kids, essentially, who are the main characters. So, all I can say definitively is... Rick Moranis' kid in this movie, the one who plays Alfalfa in Little Rascals, is meant to be the toddler who got blown up in the second movie. And this movie takes place 10 years after that movie. So if he was one then, he would be 11 now. I get really excited when I see characters in movies that I was closely following in TV shows. Like, when I watched Lost, I would watch every single movie that had those actors in it. Yep. Or same with Smallville. Because I spent ten seasons hanging out with Allison Mack, she was the highlight of this movie for me. Yes. 
here's the downside. Since Smallville, it's come out that Allison Mack was in a leadership role in a cult called Nixium. And it would essentially lure in powerful women and turn them into brainwashed slaves of the leader of the cult. They would physically brand them. And it sounds like there was some sexual nature to it as well. They became slaves to the hierarchy. The part where Alfalfa <laughs> says, we will be your slaves... Allison Mack has not aged well at all because literally that's what she would go on to do is make slaves of all these people. But yeah, I it's tough. I hope that she finds the help that she needs. She was manipulated just as anyone else was, but at a certain point you're also part of the problem and, and she certainly had become part of the problem. Okay. Tiki Man. So what Kai's referencing here is a... a the greatest B, reoccurring character ever made. A B-plot in this movie. No, the Tiki Man is the reason why the entire plot exists. <laughs> it does this movie because of this movie would not happen You're not wrong. Tiki Man. The reason why Rick Moranis accidentally shrinks himself is because his wife is sick of having a seven-foot Tiki statue in their hall. And so she tells him to get rid of it, and instead of doing that, he secretly Shrinks plans to shrink it so that like the size of an inch. it will appease his wife, but he, he can, use it as a keychain can have it with him at all times. So this guy wins a Nobel Prize and <laughs> spends all of the money he gets from on a tiki statue. On a tiki statue. In all honesty, Which, I actually really like that subplot because Rick Moranis does a really good job of just being a strange, eccentric guy. And having a giant seven-foot-tall tiki statue that he loves just as much as his wife is a good way to do that. Up until the actual shrinking in this movie, I am 100% on board. The dialogue is good. The characters are likable. I vocally said, I'm enjoying this way more than I expected. I want to keep watching this movie. I think when it actually gets into the movie, the movie starts to fall down a bunch more. But 100%... The fact that Rick Moranis is going to such extreme lengths to lie to his wife uh, just so he can keep this tiki, it's not admirable, but it is charming. However, at the end of the movie, as a compromise, he makes the tiki man 100 feet tall and puts it in his backyard. Because that's how you do relationships. And I can relate to that. I was just saying to John that last year in B.C., uh, Dinosaur Museum was closing down and they were selling off all their animatronics. I wanted so badly to oh, spend my entire life savings to buy a Brachiosaurus that was taller than my house that I could just keep in my backyard. And people were like, where do you live? I'm the Brachiosaurus house. <laughs> Brachiosaurus isn't even my favorite dinosaur, but it's just, it would be so cool to have one as big as your house. You have to lock them up. I think people would come and try and steal them. How? <laughs> you don't lock up your house where people can take that away. 
<laughs> you gotta tie your house to the floor. <laughs> what I'm really saying is, you I'll be tempted to down. bring my friends and steal it at night. <laughs> I'll be tempted to bring my crane and steal it. <laughs> okay, step one, we steal a crane. <laughs> step two, <laughs> steal a dinosaur. <laughs> step three, profit. <laughs> No, the tiki is a good instigating device. and uh, Surprisingly. surprisingly. It's weird that the statue of a tiki man is, is the best way to start this movie. Tiki statue is a good instigator, unlike random croquet sets, which are yeah, really dumb. So to explain that, essentially what happens is they shrink the tiki, and they go and look for it on the ground, and as they're looking for it, the, mach- the machine is shaking that shrunk them, and the vibrations move a croquet ball from up above that falls into a track that comically rolls down and falls onto the button that then shrinks them. And then the wives come looking for them. And the same thing. And happens. the exact same thing happens. Another croquet ball falls down this track. Yeah, yeah, I think well, the and the timing time... of the balls to fall when there's people there. Like if balls were f- constantly falling, yeah. maybe that makes more sense. Sure, yeah. But think... the ball like waits for 15 <laughs> minutes for the next victims. <laughs> the first time I feel was clever. The second time was not, I think. They could have just done a much more interesting way of doing it. They could have had a rat. That crawled yeah. on Genuinely the van. Ant-Man style. Yeah, <laughs> I would have been fine with that. Why do we not have that Ant-Man movie? Why don't we just have a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Ant-Man movie? I'd watch that. Where somebody's permanently shrunk. Marvel executives, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the Ant-Man versus Yellow Jacket fight is, where they're on the Thomas the Drake. Oh, that fight. scene is phenomenal. Yeah. But what I'm saying is... Just give us that Give us, movie. like, an Adam movie. So Adam is a DC character who shrinks as well. Ray Palmer, I believe is his name. Yep. And... He does a lot of stuff where, you know, he rides on frogs and he fights alongside or against tiny people. Don't do that, I mean, but give us stuff that's relatable. They keep going so small that they're between molecules. Yeah, they're in quantum foam. And so now you're just in a sci-fi movie. But I like to see where you're just watching that Ant-Man movie from the ground you know right like he gets stuck small or there's a reason for him to remain small we get to see that stuff a tiny bit in the first movie and then the second movie becomes more about how can you push this technology don't push the technology push the storytelling device right sorry i i took you off track though i I do have a note here that I think dad's probably going to want to take control of is I am going on vacation and no one can stop me. <laughs> this relates to Rick Moranis' wife. I really enjoyed her acting. She was yeah. a lot of fun. She was all over the place. She was great. She is not the mom in the other movies. She was a recast for this movie, probably because they had no budget. But she does very good. I think the weakest part with her in it is when the cockroach wants to eat her. That scene is horrifying. <laughs> like, genuinely. It gets played off for a laugh. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah, a that's terrifying nightmare. scene. She's just lucky that he wanted to eat her clothes and not her. <laughs> okay, there's a scene later on in the movie where they meet a daddy long legs. And it's definitely animated to be cute. But I can tell if you have arachnophobia, it'd still be scary. In this scenario, they took a cockroach, which is still scary to some people, and animated it to make it worse. 
is an inch away from her trying to tear off her legs. And this happens for a total of 30 seconds while she screams. Satisfying to watch that cockroach get stuck in the glue though and die, right? <laughs> I do kind of want to talk about the daddy long legs because I will say that that thing is still a creature that would eat them alive. Yeah, um, Kai made the same joke about eight times about it randomly attacking them. Yeah, so like, I think he made a sound effect too. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yes, because there's a point where the mothers have to get up on top of the kitchen counter so they can get one of their sons Wait his medication. Second. So they domesticate a daddy long legs. By so they, it. Yeah, they befriend a daddy long legs. It's a symbiotic relationship whereby if they free it from a few spider webs, it will help transport them up the kitchen counter. That thing is clearly a terrifying beast. They say earlier in the movie, that uh, daddy long legs are so nice. They eat other bugs. They are bugs. They are the size of bugs. Kai's making all these jokes about the daddy long legs eating the moms, but I look over at Kylan after, and he's covered his eyes in his face because he can't stand to watch the daddy long legs scene. I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's so it's too scary. It's grotesque looking. You were scared of it? No, I wasn't scared <laughs> I had of no it. No idea. I wasn't scared of it. Paying more attention I hated it. <laughs> to connect with the daddy long legs, she reaches out her hand and tickles his mandibles. All four of them. <laughs> There was a scene in this that props for them, I don't feel like a ton of movies were doing then. Nowadays, it's a very common conversation, but this movie tackled consent. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. Especially for the 19, like 1997, is that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Allison Mack is crushing on this boy. She tells him that. He pulls her aside at a party. So it's just the two of them. And he kisses her, and she says, what are you doing? You didn't ask me? Yeah, and he says, and I don't even well, know you. this is what I do. You, you wanted this. And she's like, no, I would have told you if I wanted this. I think nowadays you guys probably wouldn't be shocked to see that in a movie. But 25 years ago, yeah. that was not a common trope. Another very important thing that this movie covers is one of the boys, he has a magazine. And, <laughs> yeah, there's know. an entire scene where their backs are to the camera and they're talking about it. And a obviously, dirty magazine. It's, it's meant a dirty to emblemize a dirty magazine. And the one kid's like, man, if my dad saw this, he would freak out. Yeah. And then, and then, like, they put the magazine on the floor for some reason and walk away. Sports and... Illustrated for kids. <laughs> it's because Rick Moranis is grooming him to be a scientist. The idea of him doing something sports-related is forbidden. Something actually akin to that that I found really kind of cute in Odyssey, and that was at the end of the movie, he decides to go to baseball camp, the kid, that is, and... Afterwards, Rick Moranis is driving him home, and there's this little part where they talk about how his dad memorized all the batting averages, and there was a resolution at the end of the movie where he said, you could do whatever you wanted, but it was like that scene at the end showed that Rick was actually trying to get into his son's interests and trying to connect with him. That's good. Their dynamic, there's a scene early on where the kid runs out of peanut butter, and Rick Moranis 
Fine. Solution is to find peanuts and put them in the coffee grinder. Yeah. And like it's just like black dust that comes out. Yeah, it spews <laughs> down. It says there's grounds in here and Eric says, Well it's decaf. <laughs> it's like a pretty good scene. Like that dad has to be so clueless. <laughs> Most other resolutions in this movie happen in the matter of... 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Once they all return to normal size, there's about six things that happen in the span of 30 seconds. Yep. He's like, I'm sorry, honey. I'll get rid of the tiki man. I'm sorry, brother. You can run the company. I'm not good at <laughs> I'm it. I'm sorry. I don't care about the little things anymore. You can keep the tiki I'm man. I'm sorry. I should have trusted you. Yeah. yeah it's... The only one that wasn't there was, I'm sorry. I should have taken my medicine. Yeah. <laughs> that one didn't happen. That kid has never taken that medicine. Yeah, one of the kids has a potassium deficiency. Okay, the e-brake. Yes, the e-brake. It, it's a funny joke until it's not a joke. Essentially, one of the moms is extremely paranoid about, about everything. everything. And so she pulls up to the house and then puts blocks under the tires and... The other mom was like, why are you doing that? And she said, well, the engine was making noise. I was worried maybe the brakes would fail. You can never be too careful. That's pretty funny. <laughs> like, that would never happen if the engine was failing. The thing that makes the car go <laughs> would affect the thing that makes the car stop. Um, anyways, but so then they, they get shrunk and they like... Didn't put blocks a, under yeah, the tires. Yeah. They climb up to a window and they're looking at their car and like, look, our car's there. The kids will see the car there and know that we're here. And then... The car just starts driving into another person's driveway. It rolls away, which in itself is also funny, except that it rolls down the driveway across the street and up into the other driveway. Gravity means it that it would down. come back down, yeah. except that we established that gravity is the, the antagonist <laughs> in this movie. It's, There's like this whole subplot where it's Rick Moranis versus Gravity. <laughs> it's funny, we actually had a discussion about it, and there were a lot of scenes in which the characters fall from great heights. Like There's the one part chute. where they fall down a laundry chute. There's another one where they fall off the second story onto the first story window. And then there's another one where they fall into dip. And then Dad made a couple comments about how they should probably be dead. Then I came to the realization that if they're three quarters of an inch tall, as stated in the movie, by that math, is that their terminal velocity is very low. And that's why you can drop a mouse from the Empire State Building and it'll survive. When you're that small, gravity doesn't affect you the same way. So in all honesty, all the times they A fell, mouse would survive? It yep. would, actually. It would be a little dazed, but it can get up and walk away. The like, YouTube channel that... Uh, Curse Gazette is what it's called. That's the one. Yeah, and, and they it, have a series of videos called The Size of Life, and it's fascinating. Yeah, the idea is a mouse, if it dropped from the Empire State Building, would get up and walk away. A dog would have its legs broken, but an elephant would explode. Just because of how size affects things when they hit the ground. I'm sad that a dog's legs would break. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it on the Empire State Building to begin with, John? <laughs> You're not sad about the elephant who would explode like a water I, balloon? I feel a strong connection to dogs. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> yes, Roscoe, we're talking about you. Roscoe's <laughs> our dog. Room. He's sitting in on the conversation. The he's elephant's like, here. what about me? <laughs> oh, yeah, Let's the address... elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's address the elephant in the room. Carl, you can go now. <laughs> Anyways, they have to get off of things constantly in the movie, but it only occurred to me about a quarter of the way through that they could just jump off anything. And odds are, it'd be like falling through molasses, not falling normally. You're right. Every time they would fall, I'd be like, so they're dead. Then you're like, oh, because they're so much smaller, their terminal velocity would be much smaller as well. I was like, oh my goodness. So I think that there is something to be said where they need to treat the viewer as being really dumb. Because I'm really dumb. I would have never thought of that. But you're right. They could have just been on the bed and been like, well, let's jump down. They keep saying things like, we'd never survive a trip down the stairs. Yeah. Turns out they would. Totally fine. But we don't think in those parameters and so you need to tell the story in a way that the normal person yeah, would Yeah, and they could have solved that pretty easily if they just had a scene where they actually fell from a really high height. And then Gordon or whatever shot up and he's like, how are we still alive? He just said, oh, our, we're very small. Our terminal velocity is really low. Most of the science jargon in this movie makes sense. The translator for dogs? Yeah, <laughs> the stereo that becomes a... A microphone? That's my biggest that, pet that, peeve, that but dumb. I... I chose not to focus no, on no. it. Yeah. I don't know how he turned a stereo, which shoots His out output sound, sound. Yeah. into an input sound and then also an output sound at the same time. Very confusing. No. Um, tinfoil. With well, tinfoil, of course. What I was saying is that whenever they would mention, like, the science of why something works, it Potassium. makes sense. In bananas. <laughs> but yeah, you're talking about but, surface area of the bubbles. Yeah, and all those things, things like that. Yeah. That that makes sense. I surprisingly Most much made of sense. the science tracks. Speaking of tracks, let's talk about the terrible Hot Wheels scene. They have a scene where they're in one of the kids' rooms, and they decide the only way they can get into the hallway effectively is if they go on a Hot Wheels car, go on the track, and then shake themselves off of it in order to get off early. It looks super cool, and then you watch the scene, and it's green screened so unbelievably yeah, poorly. That's the whole movie for me. It ruins that entire scene, which seems so cool in concept. Okay, let's jump to closing. John, lead us off. How are you feeling about this movie? I think this was an Easter gift. Wow. I think you're right. I would have <laughs> never thought of that. But if, keep going. I might. So we should have watched this at Easter. <laughs> yeah, so... I can't remember if I held on to this VHS or not. I've held on to a, a couple of keepers over the years. But if we open up the VHS cover, it'll say XOXO Happy Easter yeah. 1997 or whatever. So it was an Easter movie for me. The movie's good. I enjoyed watching it. I actually thought the actors and actresses did a really good job. Yeah, this movie uh, held up surprisingly well. Yeah, I was sure we were going to bully this movie. Yeah, seven but million dollars. I That's it. it's not great, but it's not bad by any stretch. This, yeah, this if this be... is the worst of these movies, I might actually go back and watch. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. I the know. the uh, Gordon. He's totally the dad from Dinosaurs, hey? Oh, really? 
Can you hear it? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I can hear it now. Yeah. They're trying us to watch the movie again. Right? <laughs> it's a great show. You rewatched Dinosaurs. We're off on a tangent, but you rewatched Dinosaurs recently? I Well, like uh, 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Pretty recent. So, Ten, so, <laughs> more seems like yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> that show is it's not. For adults. Yeah, it's for yeah, adults. Yeah. And I didn't know that as a kid. Yeah. And 10 years ago, I was an adult. And I watched this <laughs> as an adult, and I was like, wow. I would not have understood half these things as a kid. Like, I remember the episode about drugs. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is, this is a little heavy-handed as a kid. Yeah. But now going back and seeing that it's all about yeah. racism. Climate or, change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I guess the drugs weren't heavy-handed. That was just the only one I was old enough to understand. Thanks, Triceratops. Now I have to rethink my life decisions. Uh, so, would you watch this again? Yeah. Yeah. I think... I would. I just realized we all have different ratings. Yeah, exactly. I'm one through five. Would you watch again as John? When will I watch this again as Dad? Kai, what are you? He's one through cookie over here. Yeah. (laughs) I would say that this movie was a shortbread. (laughs) It's just a short movie. It's just over an hour. Yeah. For me, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I would watch this movie again. I... Don't plan to, but in most of my other ratings, I would only watch it if it landed in my lap. But no, this is but this is one I probably won't because I don't have enough time in the day to watch mediocre movies. But this is not a movie that I would avoid, which certainly caught me off guard. Chance on my one through five scale. I think it's going to go in the same spot as Quest for Camelot, which is a four. I believe this movie isn't spectacular. This isn't Spider-Verse or one of those other cult classics that I really enjoy. But I think this is a movie with good qualities, that being some phenomenal actors, some really good lines. So I would say that this is a good movie. I think if you watch it, you will enjoy some parts of it, and you will not enjoy some others. Kylan? Wait. I did want to... Cookie out of Christmas and Wonderland, right? Yes. Well, one out of cookie. Gingerbread. Gingerbread. Mm-hmm. No, I would actually give it a shortbread though. It was good. I would eat a little bit. Shortbread, they're small. That's the ah, joke, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, shortbread. Shortbread because I like the cookie. I'd eat it. I'd like it, and then I'd be done, and I wouldn't eat it for a while. Okay. I feel like shortbread's not the cookie that you could just eat, like, a hundred of them. Put simply, this might be one of the first movies we haven't bullied in any major way. Yeah, I think the last one was Batman. I don't share the same love for this movie that I share for Batman, Batman Forever. I can't Without see the problems. Glasses. Yeah, it's it, They're secured nicely. Mm-hmm. This one certainly has flaws and i think that they cut a lot of corners uh, when it came to making the movie mm-hmm. but it's a likable cast and the writers didn't give them nothing to work with there's a, a number of good lines for me this movie is mediocre but compared to the crap that we wade through on this podcast <laughs> regularly this is top tier <laughs> Do you want anything else you want to say? No. Okay? Shortbread. 
Shortbread. Chance? Does the dog have anything to say? Stay away from Empire State Buildings, Roscoe. <laughs> so, for all you out there, we've said it once before and we'll say it once again. Look out for weirdos. Look out for dogs on Empire State Buildings. <laughs> Look out for elephants falling from Empire State Buildings. I'm sorry, Carl. Look out for Daddy Long Legs. <laughs> if you find one, tickle its mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> Why?